Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. This is a transformative time for Black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com slash blueprints. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I dot com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. Well, most of us, I'm sure, have patterns and habits that we don't like and roads that we don't want to go down. And the more I meditate, the more I have a choice to be or not to be these ways. Whatever the poison is, whether it's lust or greed or anger, meditation gives me a little bit of choice rather than just to to react. Welcome back, everybody. We're here for another episode of Comeback Stories. Today's guest is Ryan Lear. Ryan's a former professional basketball player, and today he's an internationally renowned yoga teacher, founder of One Yoga, and really Ryan's life today is all about love and to live and embody yoga. And let me tell you, I've seen it. He does it all. He talks about how yoga is a way of life, and, and that includes every interaction and every step that he takes. And just being able to spend some time with Ryan in Hawaii a couple of years ago, I felt called to have him on our show because I know he's got an epic comeback story in himself. So, Ryan, welcome, brother. Yeah, thanks for the kind intro, Donnie. Uh, honored to be here with you, too. So, we always like to dive right in. And our first question we want to know. What was growing up for you like? Yeah, um, you know, growing up from up here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, Swift Flowing River is Saskatchewan. And, you know, I grew up like kind of middle class, you know, pretty privileged, lots of sports. It was pretty easy, fun life growing up, you know. 
What would you say for you going back? We always like to to highlight the struggles, the pain, because we know pain and the struggle is part of the the shared human experience. But can you talk about some early struggles you had or even an early memory of pain? Yeah, thinking of, I, I was reflecting on the questions. I'm thinking for pain, more psychological pain, breakups. What we'll get into with my story is a bit of the anxiety, depression, and the ups and downs of uh, mental health struggles. And I remember having a lot of trouble with breakups and getting really depressed and down. And it was, you know, in my 20s where I really started to feel the pain of, of being alive, you know? Well, like w- when you talk about that, and even maybe looking back, we always like to ask who your first real teacher was, whether it was a positive teacher, whether it was a neg- you know, someone that maybe taught you what not to do. Thinking back to that, who was it for you? For when I got the sheet of questions, the first person I thought of was my dad, you know, and he was my baseball coach. Up here in Canada, we play a lot of hockey, but he was my coach and mentor. Like he had his day job, but he also, after school, would play baseball with me, would play hockey with me and kind of showed me how to play sports, which was my life until I was 27. And then on on the other side, my mom is kind of like hardcore feminist, social activist. So she was kind of like an early guide on how to live right, you know, and how to treat people and, and that on that side of things. So can you talk a little bit about just shaping your story and give our listeners some context of growing up and leading up to the professional basketball run that you had and just kind of not necessarily where you are today, but maybe just that beginning part of your story all the way up until professional basketball. Yeah. Don't I look like a a professional basketball player? (laughs) Now I tell people I played some semi-pro ball and um, they're often um, surprised, but So leading up to it, you know, I stayed pretty close to home in Saskatchewan here and played college ball and then played a little bit in the CBA, like the minor leagues of the NBA, and then was able to go over to Iceland and thankfully play a couple of years. And that's where the roots of my mom's side are from. So it was cool to to get over there. And in the meantime, before I went to Iceland, I had my daughter, Kaya, who's now 19, we were just talking about her earlier. So having a daughter and being overseas was kind of a struggle. So my struggle was being the dad I wanted to be, but also following my dreams, you know? And then thankfully I hurt my shoulder playing basketball and dislocated my shoulder. So it caused me to reflect more on what was important and got me into yoga or deeper into yoga. Can you talk a little bit about what Kaya taught you being a 19-year-old father like what what you were learning from that experience being such a young man and having to take on that role Yeah you know I was I think I was 26 when she was born so it was oh, okay. like right before my second I had her right before I went to Iceland and so I just wasn't really there, you know, we didn't have Zoom, like maybe Zoom or FaceTime would have been a little bit easier, but I just was kind of like following my passion rather than being there, you know, 
I get, I feel guilty about it often that I wasn't there those first two years. Like I could have been her mom and I weren't together and there was no way of her coming to Iceland to, to live with me. But yeah, it, it was a struggle. I don't know if you want me to go deeper into it, but you can go, you can go as deep as you want, but I think I, I would just love for you to touch on what not being there those first two years, how that's shaped you. I've seen you as a father and how you show up and how awesome of a dad you are. So I'm just curious, like the impact that had and the meaning that you attach to it today. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks, man. I don't let myself get too caught up in feeling guilty about it because I, you know, I feel like it was a mistake, but I learned from it and there's nothing I won't do for Kaya now, but I took it for granted. And how I look at it now is I'm still working on being selfless and kind and compassionate and those things, but I feel like I was just being kind of selfish in those days and trying to make myself happy instead of doing what's right, you know? And I'm not saying that it's wrong to follow your dreams and to be away from your children if you have to. I'm like on anyone else. I'm just saying that's my story and my journey. If I look at what's important, it's really, I don't know why when I was younger, I thought playing basketball overseas was more important than watching my daughter take or say, like learn the alphabet or like singing to her, all these things that I, I really took for granted. And thankfully, her mom's really cool, and we always maintained a good relationship. So, yeah, I think like the, the selfishness kind of got in the way of being a dad for a while. I feel like with life, we have to go through all those experiences in order to learn what we learn now. If you, if your life didn't happen the way that it did, who's to say that you would have learned the lessons or arrived in the place that you are today? It's a blessing to hear that. And I want to ask you, uh, especially with your sports run, how um, I know with me, when I get so involved in the craft, you know, the, you feel like you're missing out on something or and then you always feel like you're dealing with this need to perform or this need to, you know, to impress other people. Did that, did your run playing basketball have anything to do with your depression and your anxiety? How did those two kind of intermingle? Oh, Yeah. You know, I feel like when I was faced with the choice of giving up basketball and being a dad or continuing to play, that when I decided to give it up, that's when the depression really hit me because I identified myself as a basketball player. And that's it. Before being a son, being a, a dad, being a activist, whatever, it was like a basketball. It was such a big part of my identity. You know, and it really did feed my ego, too, because, you know, you want to show that that you can play and how great I was, you know, or how great I am. So, yeah, it was a I feel like with that sports stuff, a lot of it, it was for me was tied into my self-worth and my ego, you know. Yeah. Imagine if I knew now what I knew then I could kind of adjust how to navigate the whole thing. Right. Yeah. There's a, guy, a lot of guys that uh, play in the NFL. It's like when the game is over for them, you know, they just kind of get overwhelmed with the transition. I feel like uh, there wasn't a lot of preparation that goes into it. And I understand because you're trying to give everything that you have into what you're doing right now. And then when that comes, it's such a shock because it's what you've been involved in and doing for 20 something 
odd years or maybe even 30 years. So uh, it's tough to make that transition. Would you say that was one of the most adverse times of your life? I know we'll come back stories you want to ask what was the greatest moment of adversity in your life and, you know, just take us through that and what it looked like. So would you say that transition out of basketball, was that for you or would you say it was something else? At the time it was like, it was up there, but then, um, in 2013, my, my partner at the time, Caitlin and I had a child and she passed away like five minutes after she came into the world. And, the depth of love you have for your children is like, it's wild. And so to deal with that was definitely the greatest adversity I've ever faced, you know, and I handled it pretty well for probably eight or nine months. And I took care of Caitlin. I took care of my daughter, Kaya and my family. But then like after eight or nine months, yo, I just hit, I just basically had a breakdown. I used to have like, full dreads and along well the beards come back but I shaved my head shaved my dreads off and I was like I didn't I couldn't really move I was just kind of stuck on the couch not wanting to leave the house just afraid something's going to happen to Kaya it was a pretty dark time and so yeah the, that was definitely the toughest thing I've faced is losing my daughter so now I say I have one daughter who's flying and one who's here dancing like Kaya loves to dance and move and then Thora my daughter who left her body I still like once in a while I get little glimpses and little feels that like I got faith her soul still around but that's been a struggle and continues to be and when I'm taking care of myself, I'm dealing. But when I'm not, it's a tough one, you know? Yeah, I can't imagine what that feels like. What? How do you think that you were able to come out of the, the mental place you were in when you said that you had that breakdown? Like, what were some of the, the early moments and, like, some of, like, the small victories that allowed you to kind of grow out of that and start enjoying life and just, you know, just being yourself again? Yeah, there's a bit of a process coming out. But, you know, I remember the moment it shifted because for months I didn't want to be alive. I didn't want to be here. And then one night I was like, Kaya, my daughter, came up to lie down with me and she fell asleep. And I remember lying there and just hearing her breathe. And I'm like, holy cow, I've still got the most amazing child. And there's still so much to live for. So that's the moment I remember, and I really feel like I would not have got through if it wasn't for, like, Caitlin, and my parents came to see us, and Caitlin's parents came to see us, and I had a lot of friends step up just to support me while getting through, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. I want to uh, switch gears a little bit. How did you get involved in yoga? Was it before the experience with your daughter? Was it how long after was it from basketball? Like, what did that look like with you getting into the yoga world? Yeah, you know, back in high school, I took a course on religious studies and we took Eastern religions or something and it like presented the philosophy of yoga and meditation. So when I was playing hoops, I got a Bruce Lee book and I tried meditating. And so in high school and university, I would meditate and study a little bit of the philosophy and then you know when i leon brisport went up i dislocated my shoulder i still remember the play when i dislocated my shoulder 
I used yoga in the off season to rehab. And that's when like I got hooked. I got a couple of an Iyengar book, the, the yoga master and Baron Baptiste, a really great teacher. He was the, the Eagles yoga teacher, Randall Cunningham days. And I got these two books, started practicing every day. And then it, what I realized it was nourishing my body, but also my mind and my spirit. So then it just took over. How would you define yoga or how would you describe for someone that's never practiced? Because I get this question a lot, but I would love to hear your answer. How would you describe what yoga is to someone that just has no clue, never practiced? What would you tell them? Yeah, I would tell them it's like a way to freedom or to being like you were when you were seven years old or something. It's a way to find yourself and to be yourself. And it like has a path and a way to live in the world in a good way, you know, in a respectful way, in a kind way. And then it also has all these tools to get the best out of yourself, whether you want to be a better football player, baseball player, basketball player, or if you want to be a better dad, or if you want to be healthier so you can be with your grandkids. There's some medicine in it for everyone. And I think a lot of people just think it's like stretching. <laughs> but if you give yourself to it, it's a way to, to peace and freedom is how I look at it. I love that you brought up freedom. We talk about it all the time. And I mentioned this on previous podcasts where for me, freedom, it's not freedom for ourselves, it's freedom from ourselves. And mm -hmm. that's why yoga and movement and connecting the breath to the movement is a way of just getting out of our own way. And in a sense, chipping away at all of those things that are getting in the way of freedom, which it's all coming from the inside out. It's not the outside stuff. It's an inside job, right? So it is like this yeah. constant practice of clearing body and mind, but also at the same time connecting, right? And what and our access point is our breath. It's just so powerful. Yeah, it works. Hey, if you do it, it works. Well, and you mentioned it too, like I did the same thing, right? I started to fix my body, but little did I know what it would do for the mind and the soul. And then once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, and for me personally, like once the practice stops, things just get really messy. So it's not like I have to do it. Like I want to do it. So like you said, so I can be free. Yeah, man. Can you take us back a little bit? Because I know I had a conversation with you in Hawaii at some point and you, when you were playing sports, when you were playing basketball, even at the peak, you had talked about like how you were either really, really depressed, darkly depressed or super anxious. Can you just talk about like the thoughts or the stories you were telling yourself that were creating the sadness, the depression and the angst? Yeah, you know, the, the theme that kept coming up for me is I was never good enough. Like, I'm not good enough for to have anything. Like, the, the self-defeating, self-limiting language was, yeah, I'm not good enough for any of these, you name it, you know? So I feel like that's that was the language, and it's still, if I'm not diligent with my meditation and my practice, then that, that voice keeps creeping in. So I, I hope you guys can tell me how to get rid of that voice for good, you know? <laughs> no, I, I would love Darren to even chime in on this because we brought it up on yeah. episodes, but for maybe someone that hasn't heard it or just the for the purpose of keeping our conversation flowing, 
you know, Darren's talked about this a lot, so I'm going to let him chime in and sit back. Yeah, so, I mean, that voice of not good enough it still shows up for me today. Most people make a lot, a big deal out of the Madden ratings that come out for the video game. And they had me, they had me at 93 overall on the game. And it's funny because it's like somebody would think that and it's just, oh man, like, you know, he's just, you know, on top of the world and everything like that. But it's like, you know, for me, like even these past few days at practice and training camp, you know, I've still been dealing with that voice and the anxiety because it's like people are putting, you know, great expectations on me. So then sometimes I feel like I got to put expectations on myself and I need to perform and I need to, you know, do this and do that. And it's like, you know, I haven't found any way to completely eliminate that voice for me, but there's small things, like you said, uh, being diligent in my practice in my day to day, you know, staying on top of my, you know, praying in the morning, meditating in the morning, writing in my journal, working on music, you know, things that keep my soul lit up, keep my spirit nourished, not just things that everybody else is doing or trying to look the part or have an image and a brand like those things they don't fuel me up the way that things of the spirit do so for me it's all about creating the quiet time for myself and the noise whether it be negative or positive it's not really contributing to my worth at the end of the day like i could have any amount of money or any amount of people telling me how great i am and i'll still feel the same way it doesn't change anything i'm, I'm a human being and i just deal with anxiety and things like that on a day-to-day basis so uh, for me it's just staying in my practice staying and rooted in the things that you know keep me uncomfortable keep me in authentic conversations like these that we're having and just letting people know that hey i may do some things that you may think are great but at the end of the day i still have human struggles and uh me just letting that out and putting that out there allows me to not look at the situations a lot like their life and death or get into fight or flight modes. I can kind of look at it objectively and be like, okay, like, you know, I'm just trying to do some work right now. I'm trying to perform and I don't need to perform. I can just be, I can just be myself. And that's what the meditation and yoga and our relationship with Donnie has allowed me to view the world as because me in the position where I am right now without, you know, this type of mindset, this type of dialogue going on in my life, there's no way I would be able to, you know, handle it with any kind of peace or not just blow it up or self-sabotage it. So I'm just grateful to be here. Yeah, thanks, man. It's powerful stuff. And I think I'd love for you, Ryan, to even touch on because you're a deep also practitioner of meditation, but how can a practice like meditation help somebody that has that same story? Which by the way, there's not enough story. I hope for our listeners that I'm not going to say everybody has it, but I think almost everybody has this story. So if you're telling yourself the story, I promise you, you're not alone. So what would you say for you, like from a meditation standpoint, how would a consistent practice help somebody that has that story? Yeah, man. You know, I feel like when I'm in the practice, I can kind of choose the thoughts. And when I'm not practicing meditation, there's not enough space. It's almost like the thoughts run me. I feel like the meditation gives you a little bit of space to respond rather than to react and to start to choose the patterns. Like most of us, I'm sure, have patterns and habits that we don't like and roads that we don't want to go down. And the more I meditate, the more I have a choice to be or not to be these ways whatever the poison is, whether it's lust or greed or anger, 
meditation gives me a little bit of choice rather than just to to react. And I feel like that's if people do it, it works for anybody in that way, just giving a little bit more space and then there's space for grace to come in. I love that space for grace. Well, even like the Viktor Frankl quote where it's the, the space between stimulus and response. But sometimes it's not even stimulus, right? It's just the space to notice a thought where we know thoughts become things. If we continue to think that same thought, then it be it really does become our reality. So what I heard you saying in that from a meditation, it kind of gives you the power of choice where you can actually be able to choose your thoughts, which all is cultivated from awareness, because that's the practice, right? We're practicing awareness, which is the first step in creating any kind of change. The change might just be to change our thinking or to reframe our thinking or to let that thought go. Yeah, I like it, man. Our follow-up question is typically, what was the story that you had to stop telling yourself so that you could start to tell your comeback story? Yeah, you know, I'd say it is I have I can create what I want to create. I have there is possibility. Like we have a lot more how can I explain? You know, like our horoscopes or our zodiac signs and those things, they say that a lot of people really believe that's has complete control over us and we're destined to this and this. And I used to believe that it's just like all fate. But now I believe that we have choice. And it's like you said with the meditation thing, it sounds like you're saying choice. So for me, Baron's book that I read at the beginning of my yoga journey, Baron Baptiste's book, he said, journey into power. And so I feel like we have the power to choose. And for a long time, I didn't think I had any power to make my dreams a reality. I even think that we have the power to choose and we're not just victims and for me it's like some of my worst struggles that could be the fuel for my greatest victories but hopefully now i'm in some equanimity so i don't get too high from the victories and too low from the struggles you know i want to be able to surf the the waves because i know that i'm always gonna have people hate me i'm always gonna have people love me and i just don't from with the way I'm working on myself now, I don't want to get knocked off by the success or the failure, by the praise or the blame, you know? I'd say I had to tell myself that I do have the power to choose and I am good enough, like to have the most amazing daughter, to have a blessed life, you know? That's powerful stuff. I love what you said about too high or too low. That's one of the things I'm most grateful for is not having to ride that roller coaster anymore. I can celebrate myself and make sure that I'm sending myself love and positive affirmations. And I don't also I don't have to get too low, but I can hold myself to a high standard and know that when I'm slipping that I need to just get back into the practice, get back into the processes that I know work for me. But yeah, that's one of the things I'm most grateful for is I can find that middle ground and not have to be tossed around by the waves of life. And that makes me want to ask you, what do you think you're most grateful for today? I know our definitions of gratitude change over years and time and decades. So what would you say that you're most grateful for today? Yeah, good question. When you ask me right now, I'd say I'm grateful for the love and companionship of my friends and family. And, you know, my parents are coming into town today. I hadn't seen them for a year and a half. And 
my daughter, like my family. And then also I've got such a solid group of, of friends who are here for me unconditionally guys. Um, and guys like Donnie, who I've met through yoga, who really inspire me to be the best version of myself. So I'm thankful for community and I'm thankful for family like right now. It's beautiful. Well, I heard the uh, earlier you talked about family and friends, how in your darkest days, it was the family and the friends and the people that um, surrounded you when you were struggling. And I think it's always a message that we want to drive home that we're never alone. We can't do this alone. And sometimes the hardest part is just asking and asking for help because for many of us, asking for help is a sign of weakness. But through the teachings, yoga, and this whole coaching and personal development, we learn that humility is a sign of strength. And that's the hardest part for many people is picking up that thousand pound phone and just reaching out and asking for help. So I just wanted to bring that back for a moment and maybe you can touch on it a little bit more because I think that is the story we sometimes tell ourselves is that we're alone and nobody understands. But when we can bring it in and we can open up our hearts and see that love is around us all the time and that we're actually never alone. Yeah, man, you know, I didn't know that all the support was available. And I hear you because for my whole life, I thought it was a weakness to ask for help. But then when I got squashed, when I was in deep trouble, that's when I finally had to ask because I couldn't do it. Like you said, I couldn't do it on my own. And so hopefully for other people, they don't have to completely get crushed by life before they ask. And if we didn't need help, we probably would have ascended the planet anyway if we were perfect. So I love that you brought humility into this. And, and it's cool to see somebody. Darren, you're a great football player, man. And that, that you carry yourself with this humility and grace. It's really inspiring. Like, it gives me hope for the future of where we're going, you know? So, yeah, that's it's really cool. I'm thankful for this opportunity to spend some time with you guys. And Donnie, I know you're, you've always been a humble dude all over these years. And it's been great to see serving people and really like lighting people's lives up. So not always humbled, but I had to get humbled to, to, to learn a little bit about it. Yeah, I didn't know you in your athlete, like in the old, old days. I'm going to say it's the same thing. I did just, you know, come to this perspective on my own. I had to be pummeled a little bit by life and everything that I was pulling down on top of myself. And that was what allowed me to surrender and realize that I don't really, I don't really know what I'm doing. I need some help. I need a new way of thinking. I need a new way of coping. I need a new way of relating and communicating uh, with people. I'm just thankful to be in this headspace today. And just looking back on my former self, just so much has changed. And if I want to ask you, if you had an opportunity to speak to a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old version of yourself, or even the version of yourself that was playing basketball, if you had a quote or, you know, some words of advice that you would give to that younger version of yourself, uh, what do you think you would say? Yeah, it's interesting we're talking about humility. Because I would say, be a student and keep learning, like, one of my yoga teachers say the moment you think you have it all figured out, you get squashed like a bug. So to be humble and to keep learning. And I learned it 
in a bigger way in yoga in terms of having a teacher and having guides and like you said having to ask for guidance because there's people who have been on this planet a lot longer and have done the things that we probably want to do so to i would say to my 15 year old self pay more attention to your elders be humble and know that you don't have it all figured out (laughs) i think in some ways it was good to have a bit of attitude because otherwise i wouldn't have been able to play you know but i was a bit overboard yeah, no, I can relate to that because you need to have that bit of an edge to to succeed in, in what you're doing. And a lot of times, if you're an athlete or not, it's a sign of weakness to not have your stuff in order or to not, or to give off an image of you don't have everything under control when in reality, it's like, I mean, I'm here today and most people would qualify me as successful, but I don't have everything under control. You know, I'm still trying to learn. I still need to take things from the people in my life that, have wisdom and knowledge to offer so it's just like about reversing that stigma behind the need to have everything in order and not handling your business on your own as a man but it's really like you know i need everyone around me in my community to help make me a better man or none of this life that i want to live or the goals that i want to set or none of that is, is going to be possible because i'm, I'm going to tear it down at the end of the day hmm. Ryan, what would you say to somebody who maybe knows the biggest thing holding them back? So maybe someone that was in your position and feeling the dark days of depression or just super anxious every single day, like they know it, um, but they don't know what to do about it. What would you tell them? Yeah, I would tell them that like all things must pass and like it's going to pass. It's going to pass and it's not always going to be like that. But you also do have some say in how long it lasts and in how deep it goes. So there's a Rumi poem I really like where he says, be courageous and discipline yourself, submit to a daily practice. So I would say like somehow find something that gives you inspiration and light, whether it's, you know, music or dancing or nature or something hopefully that's not poisonous because it's so easy to just numb it with, with all the vices, but just to like find some kind of light to practice daily, whether it's meditation or yoga or dancing or music or sport, like getting outside or sports, but there's each person is a little bit different, but there's a lot of tools out there to get through the darkness. There's a lot of light out there, you know? And to like surround yourself with something positive, whether it's like great podcasts like these or positive music or like something to keep the fire burning or to relight it when it feels like it's out. I think it's great advice. And I'm really curious what gives you inspiration. What keeps the fire burning for you? Yeah, man. You know, I'm going through a bit of a struggle as we talk, just to be honest with you guys, just in terms of a lot of family stuff with it's been a pretty heavy last few weeks for me. So I'm like, I'm swimming through the mud a little bit, but you know, for the most of this whole year and a half pandemic, people are blown away because not like I'm super happy, but I've just felt really calm and content and grounded and inspired. And and it's through my daily yoga and my prayers. I wake up in the morning, I pray and I do my practice 
And that's like really been my lifeline to staying out of the depths of depression or the stress of anxiety. I heard you talking about, we got to touch on this because Darren and I, we talk about it, uh, about the morning routine. And so can you tell us like when, when that morning routine got so dialed in to where it just became like how you roll and then the impact that it's had on your life and what it looks like other than maybe those two things, the prayer and the, the yoga and meditation practices? Yeah, you know, when I was really in the dark and in the depression, I, it would be like one step at a time. So to get out of bed was a step. And so I read somewhere, first thing a yogi does when he wakes up is he makes his bed. So I get up and I make my bed. And if I do that, then that's like one step on in the right direction. And so now it's become a habit. And so habits aren't bad, like bad habits are bad, but have good habits are great. When I used to travel pre-pandemic, I used to travel all the time. So my internal clock was in different time zones and all that. So I just say getting at those three. So I make my bed, say my prayers, have my coffee, four things. I'm still addicted to coffee. And then I do my yoga. So not being on the road all the time has really helped that. But I feel like now that it's become such a habit again, that I will be able to go back on the road and maintain. Like when I was out often with my family and driving and stuff, I was still trying to do my yoga in my car on this eight hour drive, like just breathing deep. Well, you, you're just speaking our language. I mean, me and Darren follow a pretty, pretty dialed in morning routine also. And it consists of everything that you just mentioned, include, including waking up and making your bed as win number one, right? So that we can nice. build po- positive momentum and start to uh, stack those wins throughout the day. But I, I just want to reference that you're talking about swimming through the mud and being up in Canada and being a yo- multiple yoga studios, obviously being impacted. And then you throw all the family stuff on top of it and you've been able to navigate through not necessarily like completely not be impacted by it, but be able to manage all of the stressors, all of the uncontrollables, all the curveballs that are being thrown at you from a place of grace. And it's clearly a direct reflection of your your practice because the quality of your performance, and let's just say your performance is life, is determined by the quality of your practice. Yeah, man. Thank God for yoga and for prayer. Yeah, so I mean, I love how you talked so much about a community and the people around you today. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you if you were to give somebody or a few people in your life a comeback story shout out, somebody that helped you out of the tough areas of your life and continues to do that today. If you could name one person or a few people, who would you give that comeback story shout out to? Oh, yeah, definitely shout out to Kaya, my daughter. She's my inspiration all the time. And also, I was thinking, you know, the last few days, I've gone to my phone when I've just been like, I need to talk to someone. And it's Caitlin, my she's my ex-girlfriend and Thora's mom. But, you know, we haven't been together for years, but she's still such a rock for me whenever anything gets real and I really need a friend. It's Caitlin, you know, so shout out to Caitlin. 
Shout out, Caitlin. Well, Ryan, we, we want to thank you for coming on. And I just want to acknowledge you for how you show up in the world and your bright light and just being a good friend and honestly, just a, a cool ass dude. I know the word yogi, the word guru can kind of sometimes be a, a tricky one, but I do believe that you embody it and you live it and it's all anchored from a place of love. And I feel it every time I'm in your presence. So I'm just, I just want to acknowledge you and tell you how grateful I am to have you on our show today. Well, thanks so much for having me, man. Anytime to connect with you, I'll take it and I'm grateful for it. And I hope it can be in person one of these days. Yes, sir. That'd be awesome, man. Thank you for just being so open and so real. You got, you are an example of what makes, you know, this, this show what it is. And it's really about just having real people on here that are successful, but at the same time, can show people that, hey, I go through things too. So I, I really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, Darren. I'll now be um, tuning into more Vegas games and, and definitely be cheering you on and look forward to another a great season. You had such a great year last year, man. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. We're out. This is what I represent. I'm Staying true till I'm six down. It might take a little bit, but every king's gonna get crowned. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.